this morning I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. The Lord's laid um, this, the chapter itself on my heart, so I'm not going to be reading a verse of Scripture to start off. I don't want to read twice uh, and waste, uh, waste some time. We have a long way to go this morning. Um, but this is the Scripture, this is the point in the Scripture where, familiar to some of us in the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God calls judgment upon the city. And Abraham prayed to God that he would save the city and, pray, and reasoned with God and, and, and negotiated it down to a certain amount of people. If there were a certain amount of people righteous in the city, that God would save the city. But what, God, what Abraham did and prayed earnestly for, uh, most of all, was that Lot and his family would be saved from the city. I am thankful this morning that somebody prayed for me that had God's ear, because otherwise I wouldn't be here this morning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have what I have or be doing the things I'm doing. I wouldn't be living for Christ the way that he's called me to live for him. Everything that I, I do and, and have is because of him, and I'm thankful for that this morning. If you're here this morning and you are thankful for someone who had God's ear that prayed for you, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. Think about that this morning. Someone prayed for you endlessly until... God set the stage for you to have a change in your life. We're thankful for that this morning. Uh, let's go to Lord in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to you, and God, we're so thankful to be in your house. God, we, we love you, uh, and we're, we consider it a privilege, God, to be before you in your presence. God, we're so thankful this morning for what we've seen and heard so far, Lord. God, we're so thankful this morning, God, for the, the baptism, Lord, and the souls that we've seen saved through revival, God, and the, the lives that have been rededicated and the fires that have been rekindled. God, we're so thankful for everything you've done, but God, we come here this morning hungry for more. God, we come here this morning eager for your word. Lord, we ask that you'll just speak to us this morning, God. Each and every one of us that are here, God, help us to open our hearts, Lord, and hear what you have to say, Lord. Lord, don't let us get in the way this morning, God. Don't let us hinder the spirit this morning, God. Don't let me be a stumbling block for you, Lord. God, let me just be a vessel this morning, God. Uh, Let us experience you this morning, God. Let us be significant in this world of insignificance, Lord. God, we're so thankful for who you are, what you are, God, and we give you the glory for everything in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning just a little bit about the insignificant pillar. The insignificant pillar. See, in Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah was a city of just... Filth and sin. It was a city so bad that when God looked upon it, he had no other thought in his mind but that it needed to be destroyed. And not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but the plains around Sodom and Gomorrah. And and there may have been little small cities around that area that were destroyed that weren't talked about. Maybe they were insignificant. A city that was filled with sin, murder, lies, deceit, anger, hatred, People that dealt with other people in a treacherous way. Sinful lusts. Sexual immortality. Things that we experience day in and day out in this world. When we look upon our world, when we look upon our country, when we look upon our cities, we see signs and advertisements of things 
that we know good and well that God's not pleased with. And it breaks our heart. I hear people come to church and they'll talk about what uh, movement that's taking place just as Brad did this morning. And there are a lot of us out there that believe in Christ today. There are a lot of people out there that are praying for this country. There are a lot of people out there that are praying for this world and its leaders. There are a lot of people out there, uh, and and we need to rally together and see a change. I want to preach this morning on the insignificant pillar. In Genesis chapter 19, it says this, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot at the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go in your ways. So the first thing God did, when Abraham was praying earnestly that he would at least save Lot and his family, God sent two angels into the city, and they approached the gate, and Lot sees them. And, I, and I, there, there's something going on here within Lot's life. There's something going on here within within Lot's heart, because he has a love for two things. The Bible is very clear to tell us that we cannot serve two masters. And as these angels approach, he sees them at the gate. And he says, listen, he says, let's let's go in the house. Let's go in the house, and then you can be on your way. He's trying to get them in there for whatever they came there for as quick as possible and get them out of there. As if he knew God wasn't happy with what was going on in the city. As if he knew that God wouldn't be pleased. If I can get them out of here quicker, then then God won't know about it. And the other thing he was trying to do was hide these people from the, the, the people that were living in the city. Heaven forbid Lot be seen interacting with angels. He had a reputation to uphold. He had grown accustomed to a world and a life of sin. He, he had welcomed in and accepted and, and, and allowed things of the, his surroundings to change the way he looked at things, to change the way he did things, to change what he believed and how he believed. I'll tell you this, he, you know, he believed in God and he worshipped God, he loved God, but he allowed his standing on what he stood for and what was right and what was wrong be compromised because he dwelled in a city that was filled with sin. And friends, what I'm telling you this morning is that oftentimes we dwell in a, a, a place in our lives that's just filled with sin. And we believe and we've accepted and we, we trust, uh, but we're torn because it's almost as if we can just hurry up every time God wants to come talk to us. It's like we rush him along. What do you need, God? If we're going to move him along and see what it is and get him back on his way so we can go back to what we love and what our heart desires. And that's what was going on here. See, these angels, they said, no, we're going to tarry in the street all night. What I want you to know is God does nothing in secret. There is nothing that God doesn't know and there is nothing that God doesn't do. He doesn't do anything in secret. Everything is out in the open. Even when he stood with Pilate, he said, have I not taught and preached and done everything out in the open. I have nothing to hide from you. Uh, that's what he's saying here. And these angels says, we'll tarry in the street. We're not ashamed. We came here for a purpose. We were sent here to do a job. And, and there is nothing secret about it. We're not trying to hide it. But Lot tries to get them in the house. And, and, and it says that he pressed them so greatly that they finally went in. He made them a feast, a dinner. And they ate. 
And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast. And he did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. So Lot is in his house with the angels, and outside is the city, inhabitants, angry, wanting to know who these people are. How they knew they were here, we don't know. The Bible doesn't go into great detail. It could have been because there were other people at the gate when they approached. It could have been the neighbors gossiped and said, hey, they just had some people go in. It could have been that they smelled the food cooking. It could have been that they didn't have any salt when they were preparing the dinner. She had to, Lot's wife had to go borrow some some things to prepare the feast last minute. But whatever the reason is, the city found out about it, and these, these inhabitants come in, and they're, they're outside, and they're saying, we want to know who these people are. And I believe wholeheartedly that there was a conviction that started to dwell upon them. There was a power that started to dwell upon them. They knew something wasn't right. They knew something wasn't wrong. They knew they were in danger. They were fearful for their life. And they stood outside those doors, and they said, I don't know who those men are, but I want to know because I'm afraid of what's going on behind that door. And Lot comes out, and he says he shuts the door behind him. That's important. Because that's us, friends. We keep God in here, and we keep our life and our world out here, and we have a doorway that we balance the two. That's how we view it. We think if we can shut the door behind us, we can control what we do here, And then we can pick and choose when we go in here and do this. No, relationship with Christ isn't a day of the week. It isn't a time of service. It isn't on Sunday morning. It isn't on Sunday night. It isn't in your midweek Bible study. It It isn't when you wake up to pray. That's not a relationship. A relationship is ongoing continuously. Every moment of every day. When you wake up, all the way till you go to bed, doesn't matter what day of the week it is. That's a relationship. But see, we as Christians oftentimes think we can control when we want to worship. And because of that, we limit ourselves to our power. And because of that, because of that limiting that we're doing, we are allowing the world around us to compromise our beliefs and compromise what we stand for and how we believe, and what we know is right and wrong. We compromise, and we allow these things to come into our life, and they slowly start to chip away at our joy, and our peace, and our happiness. They slowly start to cause problems, and trouble, and strife in your life. They start to chip away at relationships that you've established and built. They start to chip away at your loved ones, and your brothers and sisters. They slowly start to chip away at your church. Because we think we can control Pick and choose when we want to serve God. Let me tell you this this morning, friends. God is a God of, of, of un, unimaginable power. He is a God that created the heavens and the earth. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He deserves your praise from every waking moment till you lay your head in bed at night. He should be what you dream about. He should be what you think about when you're, when you're driving to work or when you're at work. At any free moment you get, it should always be at the forefront of your mind because he is a, not just a part of you, but he is you.
He's not somebody that you trap behind a door and you pick and choose when you go into it. He's not somebody that you just allow to come into your life when you, when you choose. Let me tell you this. God will let you know when it's time to worship. God will let you know when it's time to praise. It may be at church. It may be at work. It may be at home by yourself. It may be in rare moments. I've heard of people that they just feel the Holy Spirit come over them while they're driving and had to pull over. Uh, whatever the case may be, he may choose a song on the radio to bless your heart one day when you're driving. Whatever Whatever it may be, God will let you know when it's time to worship. And when it is time to worship, he sets the time and appointment, not us. It's not a light switch you get to flip on and off. You know, that was one thing I was scared about revival was I've been asked to preach revivals before. And uh, the church, I would show up at the church and it's like they're expecting me to, to bring something with me. To, to bring that fire, that the wood, everything. As if they didn't have anything to do to prepare for it. It's not a light switch you flip on and off. You don't, you don't just turn it on. You've got to want it. You've got to pray for it. You've got to fast and seek it. That's Scripture. But we try to balance it. And when you try to balance it, let me tell you this. The Bible's very clear. Our God is a jealous God. And he will not dwell with, with, with sin. He will not be a part of that. And when you try to balance what you want to do and what God wants you to do, it will do nothing but cause you trouble, pain, and agony in your life. It will limit your power, your ability, and your influence. And you will be insignificant in heaven, in, his, in, in the influence you have in heaven, here on this earth. So it says this, it says... In verse 7, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do unto them as good unto your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Let me, let me just put this in perspective just for a second. So he was offering up his daughters, and it doesn't go into great detail on whether or not he thought they would be safe or, or what, but that seems pretty drastic to protect these visitors. But back in these times, when you had guests in your house, it was your job to protect them. That's truth. You study that out. There's a message in that. But when you had guests in your house, it was your job to feed them, take care of them, give them a place to sleep if they need it, and protect them from harm. And that's how he was viewing these men. Here's a problem with that. We view God as a guest. We view God as someone who just comes and visits us once in a while. We view the Spirit as somebody, something that we just interact with every now and then. A guest. It shouldn't be a guest. It should be a roommate. It should be somebody that lives with you. And they had, they had obligations to protect their family as well, but they're guests, friends. And, and here's what I will tell you. I, I was thinking about that message I preached about there's room on the couch. You know, whenever you have a lot of people over to your house, uh, they'll, they'll come around. And, and I, most recently we had a birthday party at, for uh, Landon for the family at the house. And, and uh, you know, we invite everybody over and everybody's getting food. But it's like everybody's scared to go first, Right? They're scared to be the first one in line to get food. They're scared to take up a seat on the couch. Heaven forbid somebody else might want to sit there. So what happens is you've got 20 people standing around a couch that nobody's sitting on. 
That's true. Because guests don't feel comfortable. They don't feel comfortable enough to go ahead and take a seat, to go ahead and get in line first. When you're at home, you don't think twice about getting into your fridge, do you? You don't think twice about where you sit. You might even have a certain seat. It might be to a certain point that if one of your close friends or family members come over and they sit in your seat, you tell them to get up. That's my seat. Politeness goes out the window because it's my home and I'm comfortable in it. We need to let Jesus be comfortable in our home. There's some people here today that he feels like a guest. He's treated like a guest. And he's hesitant to sit. He's hesitant to be first in line. He's hesitant to start moving because he's afraid of how you're going to react to it. I keep trying to get them to listen to me. I keep trying to get them to move. I keep speaking to them. They're not listening. What else can I do? He'll get your attention some way, shape, or form. But we need to welcome him in as a member of our household and not just a guest. Not just a guest. I've got to move on here. <clears throat> so, in verse 12, it says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Uh, in verse 10, it says, But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house. I'll back up just a little bit farther. And they said, in verse 9, And they said, Stand back. And they said again. So this is the angels. So it doesn't tell you that the angels come outside. But this is what happens, okay? Lot's out here, and he's starting, the crowd's getting out of control, and he has reached this point where he can no longer manage both sides of the door. And the angels step out. And they say, they tell the crowd, stand back. And the crowd says again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will need to be judged. Now we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door, the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. So they pull Lot back in. And isn't it great that even when we're trying to balance two things and we're trying to do our own thing, that even when we start to get in danger, God saves us? That's the God that we serve. He loves you regardless of who you are. He he loves you regardless of what you've got yourself into. And every time we come crawling back to him, he's more than willing to fix it. He's more than willing to save us because he has a, a will for you and he wants you to live a life of abundance. And he needs you to be in, in safe keepings for that. He pulls them in. <clears throat> and the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said up, Get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So here's what happens. When you start to try to balance two sides of your life, when you start to try to live on both sides, your witness is impacted. Lot had no witness here. He went to his sons-in-laws and he said, listen, God's going to destroy this place. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to get out of here. And they mocked him. They didn't believe him. Why would they? It's not somebody of integrity. It's not somebody that they trust. It's not somebody that they believe. 
This, this wasn't a man who always stood for what was right, that always uh, talked to him about God or, or talked to him about uh, doing right or doing what the Ten Commandments said. This wasn't a man who did that. This was a man who allowed these people to live the life they lived, and even though they didn't maybe participate in the activities, they didn't say nothing to stand up for it. You condone it when you, when you say nothing, when there's silence. It's con- you're condoning the behavior. Friends, when we, your greatest testimony is your, the way you live your life. The way you, what you do, what you say, where you go, who you associate with, that's your greatest testimony. And, and this world may try to put you down and might, may try to say bad things about you and every now and then somebody may try to tear you down and rip you apart. But as long as you are living for Christ, all those things will work themselves out. Because over time, people will see that that's not the case. And that's not true. But if we're not living a life of Christ, if we're not living a, a life he's called us into and we're trying to balance both sides of this, we lose our witness. So we, on one hand, we pray for these people and we ask them to go to church, but on the other hand, we participate or, or, or allow them to do whatever it is they're doing. And we don't stand up and say, that's wrong. I don't believe in that. I, I don't want to be around that. That offends me. You know, when I uh, first started working right out of high school, I went to work with my dad. You know, one thing that stood out to me was, I don't know if any of you guys have ever worked construction before, but, and I'm sure they're not all, not everybody's this way, but man, they have some of the filthiest language you've ever heard. But it was like when we were around my dad, they didn't talk that way because they had respect for him. They knew what he stood for. They knew that he went to church. And they wouldn't cuss in front of him. We have to live a life that God's called us to live. We have to be the witness and the example of what the world needs and wants. If you, want, if you truly want to get people and lead them to Christ and bring them into church, you have to live it. You have to show them what they're missing through you. It says, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and the two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him unto the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Lot, still, torn in such a way between the two. Here's what happens. When you try to balance two things, when you try to live in the world and live with God, the world will win. Unless you truly turn your life over to Christ, the world will always win, and that's what happened here. Lot was so in love with, with the people of Sodom and his life and that what he had that he didn't want to leave, even after the angels told him to get out. So they drug him out of the city. They said, get out of here, escape. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy. 
which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, the city is near to flee unto, and it is, it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow the city for which thou hast spoken. Hast thee escaped thither? For I cannot do anything till thou hast come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. You know what Zor means? Translate means insignificant. It was a little city. It was an insignificant city. God called him to a mountain, to go into the mountain, and Lot argued with him. He was so distraught over having to leave where he known what he loved, that when God called him to something better, to save his life, he even then wanted to negotiate with God. And that's what we do. God calls us to something. God asks us to do something. They asks us to go somewhere or to join, join a church or do this or do whatever it is. And we start to negotiate. Say, well, I don't want to join that one or I don't want to go to that place or I don't want to testify about that. Can I testify about this? God's called you to do that thing for a certain reason. And I'll tell you this, if you keep reading on, we're not going to get into it this morning, but Lot ends up in the mountain anyways. You will end up where you're going. And they let him go to a city of Zor, an insignificant city, a city that had no worth, no value. And the only reason it wasn't destroyed in the, with Sodom and Gomorrah probably was because that's where Lot went. And I wonder today how many people are living, right now they feel like they're in a place of insignificance, a, pl- a city You're limiting your power. You're limiting your victory. You're limiting your joy. You're limiting all these things. You're wondering why the troubles are coming upon you or why the sorrows you have or why the sickness or why your prayers aren't being answered. But it's because you've gone to a city of insignificance and you are dwelling there. And God's called you to something greater. He's called you to a higher place. He's called you to a, a, a place in a mountain. And it is time for us to pack our bags and get out of this insignificant city and be significant in this world and have a significant influence in heaven this morning. It is time that we do what God's called us to do this morning. It is time that we are not afraid, but we take up and we have faith that God will take us all the way. We have faith that since he's called us to do it, that we can do it this morning. It's time that we stop being scared about what might happen and participate and see what will happen this morning. It's time that we trust that God is all-powerful. We, we believe that scripture that we read all the time where it says, with Christ, all things are possible. It's time that we start actually believing what we read in the Bible, that when he tells us to move, that we'll move. It's time that we start doing what he's called us to do. It's time that we start living a life the way that he wants us to live. And when we read and we say, go to church, and we say, I believe in God, it's time that we start acting like we believe in God. It's time that we let him consume our life and we stop trying to balance these two things. It's it's time that we stop trying to keep him behind a closed door and participate when we want to. It's time that we stop picking and choosing when we think it's okay for us to worship with him and allow him just to consume our life and consume everything around us and let it be a light and a witness to this world and that we have significance here. It is time that we are significant as Christians. And it says, the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and that which grew upon the ground. But why 
but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. They get into Zor and they were told not to look back. It says that she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. But when you go into the definition of the word look there, it's not just uh, look to see what it is. You're looking upon it with compassion, with sorrow, with, with desire. She may have physically been in Zor, but mentally, she was still in that city. She disobeyed a direct command from God because she, just like her husband, was trying to balance both sides of the door and the world won. And her life ended tragically because of it. God's trying to let you know today that he's called you to something greater. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 5, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If it is thenceforth good for nothing. You know what? Salt is one of the most stable compounds that there is. It doesn't degrade, it doesn't go away, and it doesn't lose its flavor. But only when it's in its purest form. You guys hear me? Only when it's in its purest form. When salt is diluted with other, other things dirt, rocks, whatever it is, it's not pure and it will lose it. When water hits it, it starts to degrade. When moisture gets on, it starts to degrade and becomes worthless. That's what he's talking about here. We have to be pure today. We have to live a life of purity. We have to live a life doing what is good and right in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what it is that you're going through this morning. But you don't have to be an insignificant pillar. You don't have to be salt that has no flavor. You are the salt of the earth. You are to fertilize the land. That's your calling this morning. Whether you sing, whether you preach, whether you testify, whether you go on mission trips, whatever it is, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a secretary in the church, your calling is to be the salt of the earth. And the sad truth of it is that we live in a world today where too many Christians have lost their flavor. And salt without flavor, as it says there, is worthless. It's worthless. Good for nothing. Insignificant. That's actually, it's a good for nothing. That's what the scripture says, what Jesus says. So when I was reading through the scripture and I was thinking about Lot's wife and the pillar of salt and the statue that she became permanently in that place because that's where she chose to be. She really isn't insignificant in this particular moment. Because in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching about the return of Christ. And he says, remember Lot's wife. It's, there, it's a memorial for us to remember. He says, don't go back. That's what he, in Luke 17, he's telling them that when, when, 
when, when, the, when, when the sun comes back, things are going to be crazy. I'm summarizing. He said, there'll be a man up on the roof. He said, but don't go back down in the house to get what you need. Don't turn back. There's nothing behind you that's worth going back for. You keep pressing on. You keep going forward. Stop being insignificant. Stop being an insignificant pillar of salt with no flavor this morning. It is time to come back and get your flavor. It's time to be pure. It's time to stop keeping God behind a door this morning and walk up to the altar if God's knocking on your heart and say, you know what, God? Come on in. Come in my life. Consume me. Clean me up. Change me. Let me be a light and example for you. As everybody stands this morning. It's time to be good for something, friends. It's time to leave your dead weight behind. Church, we've, uh, we've had revival all week. The Lord's been here. We've seen lives changed and experienced, experienced a reviving spirit in our hearts. And the great thing about this church is, that I love about this church is that God always brings the truth. The message is never sugar-coated. Sometimes I don't like to hear it, but it's what I need to hear. But at the end of the day, it's up to us to be willing to accept a call. I mean, there's not much more that Orby can do for you. Not much more that I can do for you. You have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to be different.